Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. So I'm not going to take long, but I'm not going to rush because I believe that what God wants to say to us is very important. I'm going to come out of 2 Thessalonians. Don't put the verse up yet, but I want to talk to you about the love of the truth. The love of the truth. This is vital because we're living in a time where it's hard to know truth from a lie. Like, people consume information that is clearly not true, but they consume it, and it governs our thinking and our behavior and the way we interact with one another. And then it becomes what is popularized, our truth. Anyone who claims their truth, that's a manifestation that you don't know the truth. Because there's none of us who have a truth. The truth is a person. The truth comes from one source, everything else. Let every man be a liar, but let God's word be true. But it's culturally acceptable and it's a cool thing to say. I see people who stand behind this sacred desk who also speak of, you speak your truth. That's a dangerous doctrine because the truth is a person. If you believe that the word of God is true, Jesus says, I am the truth and the life. And you know what else? I'm the way. There's only one way. If you if you're on a two-way street, you're on the wrong street. He says, I am the way. He says, I am the door, and anyone who comes any other way is a thief and a robber. He does his best to make it plain, but in Paul's day, there were people who were confused because of misinformation. And we're living in an age of misinformation. There is so much information, the news cycles are so quick, and information is so rampant, our children, raising children has never been harder because they get lots of information but not much wisdom. That's why the church is necessary. We must impart wisdom to our youth because they're consumed with information and most of it is bad for them. It confuses them. They're, they're confused about their gender. They're confused about who they are. They become pronouns and not knowing who they are, their identity, who they are, who they were created to be, is confusing. And if you say something that is truthful, you're called a hater and a liar. So people are confused. They don't know. You just want to go along to get along. I don't want that smoke. I just want to live in peace. And so misinformation is rampant. Paul had to deal with it in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he was dealing with this issue that probably was coming from the Sadducees because they didn't believe in the resurrection or angels. So they were telling the people of God, there's no resurrection. What are you talking about? The power of the gospel is in the resurrection. The hope beyond the grave is in the resurrection. But there was misinformation in an age that wasn't an information age. That's the point I'm trying to make as we break down the love of the truth. And Paul said, if, if there's no resurrection, we of all people are most miserable. We should just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. He said, if there's no resurrection, then we're false witnesses of God because in the name of the Lord, we tell you that there is. He had to correct it. But in Thessalonica, there was a different problem. It was just as serious but had the potential to be more catastrophic in their everyday life because in the first century church, there's something that they had that I'm praying that we would recapture. Every day of their life, 
every single day they woke up looking for Jesus. They literally expected him to come and when he didn't come, they were disappointed. But then they said, tomorrow, Lord, I'm laying down tonight. When I wake up in the morning, and if, if you come while I'm sleeping, wake me up. Let me hear the trumpet. They didn't want to miss him. That put a healthy fear of God. Not afraid, but reverence. They were looking, literally looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But life today is casual. And Jesus warned us. He said, the coming of the Lord, I can't tell you the time or season, it's not mine to give, but it's going to be like the days of Noah, where people are buying and selling and giving in marriage. We're removed, 23 centuries removed from the first century church. And God wants us to be informed in an age where the masses is misinformed. He said, not so with my people. You are going to know the truth. You shall what? Know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. The only thing that can make us free is the truth. Everything else is bondage. Do you know how bad it is? How bad spiritual bondage is? If a person is in jail, and by, they know they're in jail. They know they're in jail. They know that all their freedoms are taken away. If a person is in spiritual bondage, they don't know it because it's wrapped in pleasure and it consumes you and it, and it feeds your lust and your sensuality. The Bible calls it sensual. Sensual. And sensual is not just sexual. Sensual is when my opinion becomes truth because I'm drawing from my senses. You know, we have five senses. That's how we perceive the world. So I draw from that because I have free will and I'm grown. You can't tell me what to do. And I don't consider the things of God, the one who made me, the one who created me, the one who knows best for me, the one who wants the best for me. I reject that and I receive what's in the world. Don't you know? I'm going to get to the text in a minute, but I got to set this thing up. Is it okay? I'm going to be quick, but I'm not going to hurry. From the beginning... When the serpent came to Eve, the first words he spoke, has God said, has God said, from that day until Jesus comes back, it's about what God said, and come on, come on, you better get a microphone up in here. It's what God says and what man perceives and says. That's why the Bible says, let every man be what? And let God be true. And that man is not just gender. It's humankind. It's humankind. And so it's dangerous where it's popularized for people to say, my truth. I heard a, this bright, intelligent French young man who is all the rage in the NBA, he just got drafted, he's seven foot five. I'm praying for him, I want him to have good success. Good success. He's seven, three and a half with his shoes off, seven, five with his shoes on. And because you always play with your shoes on, he's seven, five. He's seven, five. And he was, he's articulate, he's smart, he's likable. Like right away, I liked him. Like Jesus who saw the rich young ruler, it said he looked at him and he loved him. But then he asked him a question to give up, to sacrifice, and the young man walked away sad. Well, I was watching this young man because he's getting a lot of press. And he was talking about how he got here. And he said, the universe has a plan for me. My heart, just like y'all, y'all groaning in the spirit. I said, God, send somebody to this young man that he might know that the universe was created. 
the creator. See, we learn to worship the creature and not the creator. That's why you don't make idols out of people or the, the universe. There are people literally who pray to the universe. And they'll mock you for having faith in God because they honestly believe it. It's not true. The Bible calls that delusion. And they put an adjective before it, strong delusion. When a person is delusional, I was talking to my wife on the way here this morning, and I was testing out some elements of the message. She thought it was just a conversation. <laughs> and I said, you know, when a person is sick and they suffer from delusions, if they were once well, I'm not talking about mental illness, I'm saying a person who is well, who is sick, and either, either it's a side effect of a medication or it's um, dehydration, or all the things that can make you delusional and suffer from delirium, they know, they're talking out of their head, but they know something isn't right. I know this is true, I experienced it with my mother. And I didn't know at the time that she had a stroke, but she was trying to explain to me what was happening. She said, Bobby, I know what I wanna say, but I can't get it out. It happened to me in the bank, it's the same thing. I don't know how to say it. And she began to cry. She knew that what she was saying wasn't making sense. It was delusion, but she recognized the delusion. The thing about spiritual delusion is that you don't know. Like people honestly believe it. That's why the love of the truth is important. You've gotta be compassionate and loving and kind and not thumping them with the Bible. You've gotta love them. God said with loving kindness, I've drawn you. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. It's not the fiery voice of a preacher. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. With that foundation, let's go to the love of the truth. Paul is trying to help them understand that Jesus hasn't already come because he knew that this was catastrophic because you're going to give up hope. Your hope is in him coming back. You can endure all this stuff that you're enduring on earth because you have a hope that is yet to come. But there was someone in that generation, in that age, who was sent as a messenger of Satan to distract them. We're not going to be distracted. That's not going to happen. Tell somebody, not on my watch. Come on, you gotta say it like you mean it. Not on my watch. <laughs> Second Thessalonians chapter two. We're gonna read verses one through 12. Paul is dealing with this misinformation. Now, brethren, Concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as it from us, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Can you imagine at this time in the church, every day they woke up, they looked for him, and somebody said to them, you missed him. You missed him. I had one of my sons, don't, don't take the verse down. You can go to verse three, because if I talk for a minute, and you leave that verse, I'll start reading that. Okay, leave it there, thank you. One of my sons in the gospel called me a while ago, and I could tell in his voice he was distraught. And he said, Pastor, Pastor Bob, 
I think I missed God. I think I missed God. That got my attention. I wanted to know what, what was the decision that he made that made that led him to that. He was melancholy. He was, dare I say, depressed. And I was able to encourage him because I knew that if you miss God in this one decision, you haven't missed God altogether. See, these people were told that they had missed God altogether. And Paul is ministering to the church at Thessalonica to encourage them so that they would keep hope. Do you know how, how much power there is in hope? You show me a hopeless person and I'll show you a person who's already dead. You show me a hopeless situation and a person full of hope and I guarantee you they're coming out of it. They're gonna overcome because hope never makes a shame. It never makes us ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. Come on. Let no one deceive you by any means. Let no one deceive you. Somebody say that with me. By any means. And you see Paul said, I don't care if it's by word, by spirit, by letter, even if it's from us. Don't let anybody deceive you. For the day will not come unless the falling away comes first. See, there's something about the word of God. There's evidence. See, you have to know the, the evidence. And then the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Jesus talked about the son of perdition before he left. Who opposes and exalts himself. Verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. I want to show you a little something for those who are new to studying the scripture. There are little things that tell you who they're talking about. This is obviously the Antichrist. The Antichrist. The one who opposes the anointed one, Christ. But when they talk about God so that he, you notice it's lowercase, whenever it talks about God or, or the, the name of Jesus or the spirit, is you will always see uppercase describing him. So Paul doesn't want us to get it twisted. This dude who parades as God is not God. Don't be taken in. Jesus says that this dude is going to be so convincing that if it were possible, even the very elect would fall into the trap. I'm glad I'm part of the elect. I, 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 if you are part of God's chosen, you are unperishable. You're an imperishable item. You're the only fruit that's ever been created that does not perish. Because every fruit has a shelf life. But the fruit of the spirit that God has put in you is unperishable because whoever believes in him, Tanya, shall not perish. But they're going to have everlasting life. Paul wanted to be clear. He hasn't come yet because some stuff has to happen before he comes. We're not going to be deceived. We're never going to get it twisted. We're going to be right side up and never upside down. Let's, let's go back to the verse. Be quick, but don't hurry. I'm doing good with it, don't hurry. How am I doing with it, be quick? Don't, don't answer that. <laughs> so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Verse 5. 
Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Verse 6, let's keep going all the way to verse 12. Don't jump to 12, we're going to read to 12. And now you know what is restraining. We're going to talk about this restraint in a minute. That he may be revealed in his own time. If you're taking notes, write down the, the, the word restraining because I want to come back to that. That's really important for us to discern the times. And now you know, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. If it was at work then, what are the chances of that work now? It's more in the open. It's no longer in the dark. Lawlessness has become, to many, light. Has become light. It's strange fire. It's strange fire. Lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. That's a really important verse. I want you to be like Bereans. And if you only looked at one verse, study that one and understand what it means. Verse 8. We'll talk about it in a minute, but I got to be quick, remember? And then the lawlessness, the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. How glorious is he that you can't even see him. If Paul were here, he would say, when I was on my way to Damascus, I saw something that was brighter than the noonday sun. It caused me to be blind for three days. I would have been blind longer, but it was, if it was not for the prayer of Ananias. But when he comes, the breath of his mouth is gonna consume fire and the brightness of his coming. Verse nine, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Keep it there just for a minute. God wants me to say this to his people whom he loves. He said, pursue relationship with him so that you get, no matter how intimate you are with him, get more intimate. Because if you pursue that, You'll never be barren. You'll never be perceived, deceived. But if you pursue that which the Pharisees needed as evidence, if you who you say you are, then do something. Show us a sign. See, the devil knows that we're after signs. Here's what Jesus said. A wicked and perverse generation seeketh after signs, but you're going to have none except the prophet Jonah. So you know what happens? When you seek them, you open yourself up for deception. But when you seek him, they follow you. These signs shall follow them who believe. So signs ought to follow you. You shouldn't follow signs. See, that too is perverted. If you're following signs, you're not doing according to the word because the word says these signs shall follow them who believe. That's a principle in life. One of the things that I've learned is that everything that God has for me pursues me. Come on, I just looked behind me and there, I wasn't looking for it. It's just attracted to you. What are you a magnet for? What is attracted to you? And you have to know the difference between the real thing and counterfeits. Let's keep going. Verse 10. And with all unrighteous deception. It's not just deception, it's unrighteous deception among those who perish because they 
did not receive, and this is the heart of our message, the love of the truth, that they might be saved. When we receive the love of the truth, the door to salvation is open. When I reject the love of the truth, there's something else that comes. And it's the, the scripture saying it, not me. Let's go to verse 11. And for this reason, and for this reason, what is the reason? You didn't receive the love of the truth. For this reason, apostle, God will send them strong delusion. They're already under delusion. Now it's strong delusion. It's like it has gripped you and you don't know which way is up. That they should believe the lie. What God is saying is I've been trying to woo you. I've been giving you my best lines. I'm trying to win you over. But your heart is so hard that you can't receive real love. You've been in abusive relationships so much, you don't know what love is. I want to be the lover of your soul. And because you won't receive the love of the truth, I send my people to you night and day. Everywhere you look, my love is all around you. It's surrounding you. It's surrounding you. But the only way I can get your attention is to send you strong delusion. Because you know there are times when the fear of God is present in mass in a society. 9-11, more people were praying than ever. Churches were filled. But when things get better, COVID, people crying out. It, the mask comes off, things are over, people go right back to where they were. It's not that God is, is being mean or flexing. When Pharaoh was told to let God's people go, if he would have done it, he would have saved himself a lot of stuff. He would have saved himself flies and frogs and boils and all of those things. But even after all those things, he wouldn't do it. And God said to Moses, because Moses is like, Lord, how many times are you going to send me to this dude? At some point, he, did you hear what he said he's going to do to me? He said, don't worry. I've hardened his heart. So I will be glorified in him that the world may know that I am the Lord God. God is going to be glorified. He's going to get the glory. Either, either we're going to give him the glory, or he's going to get it. He's going to get the glory. Say, God, I give you the glory. God, I make a choice to give you the glory, because all the glory belongs to you. So this strong illusion causes them to believe a lie. Last verse. That they all may be condemned. Condemned. Who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. There's a lot of people who fit the description of having pleasure in unrighteousness. Why is that? How is that? And how does that change? And how do we make certain that we don't fall into that trap? I was, there's, there's something I want to do um, here soon, like a little short reel talking about the one who hungers and thirsts after righteousness they shall be filled. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. As I was quoting it, God said, there are so many people, sometimes my people, who hunger for things that are not 
righteous. But the principle still applies. They're going to be filled. And he said, I want you to ask a question, simple question. What are you full of? What are you full of? And then he said, so many of my people, Brandy, you're going to get this, fall into a thirst trap. Some of you of a certain age might not know what a thirst trap is, but you're falling in them. You're falling in them. We have to know how to resist that. One of the things that the will of God for us is, is for us to be real and to make the scriptures come alive in a way that's relevant to what we are facing in our lives. And this text, this text was present then in the first century church. I promise you, in 2023, it's more so. And the grip has gotten tighter. So here's the thing, that word restraining and restraint, I want to talk about that. And then we're going to read a few verses and close, a few verses in Malachi. Sometimes I look around and I don't think I'm the only one. I'm like, God, do something. God, you got to do something. This, this ungodliness is out of control. Lord, do something. But see, I'm that dude who when I'm driving in the car and someone throws something out of their window, I, I wish I was a police officer. I could turn on the lights. I would handcuff them. I would arrest them. I won't abuse them, but when I'm putting them in the car, they might bump their head. It's like, why are you doing that? See, that's, I'm just being real. If y'all judge me, I ain't gonna be real with you no more. I'm gonna be this polished preacher who's made out of Teflon. <laughs> That's it, that's it, sis. She said, that ain't gonna happen. It's not in me to do that. But the restraint that Paul is talking about is the one who's working in the earth, the Holy Ghost, is restraining judgment. And he's restraining it, not for those who perish, but for the unperishable. He said, there's some more that I have. There are other sheep that I have that are not of this fold. I got to bring them also. And until that happens, that's got to happen. And then the other thing that Paul tells us in the 15th chapter of Romans is that the fullness of the Gentiles has got to come in order for Israel to be saved. So God is working out some stuff. These things have to happen, but Paul showed us the key indicators. He said the man of sin, the Antichrist, is going to be revealed. He's already working, but he will be manifested in the flesh. See, you know why? He is the Antichrist. Because Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. He was justified in the spirit, manifested in the flesh, received of angels when he went back up. So this antichrist is going to show himself to be God. Where do you think he would go in the world? So is there any people that you can think of who are looking for the Messiah to come? who are looking for the Messiah to come. I, I have some people who are orthodox in Judaism, and I love them. I really do. And we communicate. Some of them, we do business together. The people who brought me to Israel, that family, I love them. I know they love God, but they're waiting for the Messiah. And so if one shows himself, they're ripe for deception. But you know we have a role in that. Because when the fullness of the Gentile comes, 
then Israel is going to be saved. I believe, I believe this with all my heart. God has joined me together, and these, we will be connected for life. I believe God did that for a purpose because of the time that we're in so that they can be a sign for me, I can be a sign for them, and together, Jew and Gentile will receive the fullness of God. I watched, I rejoiced last week as I saw a, a, a picture of Rabbi Rosen and then the apostle speaking, Jew and Gentile together. That's what God wants to do. Do you know that their disobedience is so that we can be obedient? See, their disobedience opened the door for our obedience. That's written in the word. Everything that God does, he has a plan. So when you get frustrated and say, God, destroy all of this. No, 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 no. He's showing restraint because he's gathering people together. That's why Paul in the scripture says, when the coming of the Lord, when he comes to gather us together, he's gathering those who are scattered. There's some people who are scattered. They're scattered physically. They're scattered in their mind. He's gathering them, bringing them together. And we're vessels. We're instruments. We're vessels, earthen vessels full of heavenly treasures that he wants to pour it out. I want my life to be poured out. Be poured out as a drink offering on the altar of sacrifice. God knows what he's doing. So don't be discouraged. Don't be confused. He's restraining. He's restraining until that one is taken out of the way. He don't want you to be taken out of the way or me. James writes about Lot, that righteous man who was vexed in Sodom and Gomorrah. He said his, his righteous spirit was vexed. It was troubled every day, every, what, the things he saw around him. And God went to Abraham. God was ready to destroy him. Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, but I can't do this thing. Can I sit down? I want to have an intimate conversation with you. He said, but I can't do this thing unless I tell my servant Moses. I want to be so close to God that if something is about to break loose in Philadelphia, he said, I got to talk to Bob. I, I got to tell you, you laughing, I'm serious. That's possible. You can walk with God that way and that be so. You can laugh if you want to, but I'm striving for that. I'm striving for that. But he said, do this thing unless I tell my servant Abraham. And he told Abraham his plans. And Abraham knew he had a nephew in there. And that nephew, this is related to that. That nephew was where he was because he was greedy. He looked at the land. He said, that land is green. Bishop is flourishing. My cattle will do well. Abraham said, wherever you go, we're, we're family. We shouldn't be fighting. Our folks shouldn't be fighting. Whatever you want, you take it. I'll go the other way. And Lot chose what looked to be pleasant, it was Sodom, and it was Gomorrah. And when God started to tell Abraham, even though Lot, see if he had the attitude that I have when I want to arrest people, he would say, all right, he got his just desserts. My cattle are all skinny, they're not fed right, I'm in barren land, you got the plus stuff. He said, no, no. He said, God, can I ask you a question? He said, if there were any righteous, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? He said, no. He said, God, suffer me. One more time. I know. They don't, I guess I can't sit down. The mic is better when I stand up. All right, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, what if there were 50? He said, I wouldn't destroy him for 50. He said, God, suffer me. I put my, one more, can I come one more time? It's like people who get drunk and say, Lord, if you heal me tomorrow, 
and once they feel better, a little Pepto-Bismol. All right, I digress. I don't know where that came from. I don't think that came from heaven. But he said, what about 40? What about 20? God said, if I find one righteous, I won't destroy them. But because that was on Abraham's mind, God sent angels. I want you to know, sometimes our family members, our children are in stuff that we don't like. And no matter what we say to them, they see green grass over there and they want to go there. But if you just talk to God, God hears you and he'll send an angel. He sent an angel and he said, get him out of there. I want you to go to his house and get him out of there. You ready for this part? I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Out of all the women who were spoken of in the Bible, there's only one that Jesus said to remember. He used that example. He said, remember Lot's wife. Why would he tell us to remember Lot's wife? Not remember the woman at the well who once converted was an evangelist. Not remember Deborah, who was a mighty conqueror and a prophetess, who was courageous. Remembers Lot, remember Lot's wife. Because when God sent deliverance for her, he gave instructions. He said, don't look, don't you look back. And she and she became a pillar of salt. When people are enticed with the pleasure of unrighteousness, their instinct is to look back. Instead of running to God, he's, his, his mercy, I'm delivering you from the wrath to come. I'm delivering you from the wrath to come. And you're looking back at that, the thing that vexed you. You know that you were empty. I know so many people whose bank accounts are full, but they're empty. Because there's no joy in that. There's joy in him. Joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. He was trying to have them enter into his rest. And she never entered in because she looked back. I don't know about you, but I'm forgetting about those things that are behind. I'm reaching forth to that which is before, pressing, pressing towards the mark of the prize, which is the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You can have this whole wide world, but that is eternal. That's what we press for. Press into the kingdom of God. So we thank God for his restraint. It looks like the devil is winning. He's not winning. It's God's restraint. Because when he decides to take him out of the way, the breath of his mouth is going to... All he has to do is open his mouth. And the brightness of his coming, it'll be glorious to those who are in him. It's going to be blinding and perilous to those who perish. Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Here is the anecdote. Here is how we clothe ourselves in him in such a way that we're untouchable. And the next time I stand before you, I'm going to talk about the choices that bring conviction versus the choices that bring condemnation. Because we talk about there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Doesn't stop there. Who walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. There's a deception to pull you away from the things of the spirit because it just feels cooler. 
It just feels more popular. It just feels right because there's so many people who are engulfed in that. Mm. I'm talking about the way that is narrow, that only few shall find. Malachi 3, 16 and 18. And we're going to wrap this up. Then those who feared the Lord, says. He's talking about specific people. Paul talked about a certain people. He was talking about the people who resisted the love of the truth. Malachi the prophet, the last prophecy for 450 years. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. That's why I'm excited about this fellowship. There's nothing like talking to a person who honestly fears God. That's one of the joys of my day every day is interacting with people who fear God. There's something about it that is not only safe, it's edifying. It builds you up. It builds you up. And something happens in heaven when people get together who fear God. They spoke to one another and the Lord listened. It's as effective as prayer and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him. Who was it written for? For those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Next verse. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On that day, see, Paul was talking about a day. Malachi is talking about a day. On that day, on the day that I make them my jewels. I want to be a jewel in his crown. And listen, this is where the restraint, old and the new, come together. And I will spare them. As a man spares his own son who serves him. Verse 18. Then, here's, the, here's what I want you to get. Then you shall discern. Discern means to know the difference. To apply good judgment. It's what wisdom is. Wisdom is greater than knowledge. Knowledge is important, but you could be ever learning and never coming into the knowledge of the truth. Wisdom is the right application of knowledge, is knowing how to apply it, how to deploy it. Then you shall again discern. Again. The only way it can be again, Minister Sample, is if I've lost discernment. There are seasons when God's people lose their ability to discern because the delusion hovers over us also. But this is a good promise. He said, but then you shall discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. My prayer for each and every one of you in this room and on the live stream is that this, our portion, and would be our lot. So that in a time when there's strong delusion all around us, we will be able to discern between righteousness and unrighteousness, truth and a lie, good and evil because we are his. Let us pray. Father, I pray that you would settle your word in our hearts. Deliver us from the wickedness of this day. Lord, don't let us fail. The culture is strong. 
but you are stronger. God, we can make excuses to justify anything that we want to do, but that too is delusional. May we, we receive continually, daily, hourly, minute by minute of each day as long as we so shall live the love of the truth. May delusion not come near our house. May we submit our ways to you. May we know your voice so well that we would follow you as helpless sheep who have no defense mechanisms, who have no ability to defend themselves, but who rely on the shepherd. Because you are a good shepherd, we trust you in every situation. I pray God for our children who are flooded with information, information in their formidable years that is confusing. It's hard to decipher. But God, just what you did for Daniel and the three Hebrew boys, you're able to do for them. They lived in a culture where the king says, bow or burn bow or burn God I declare in the presence of the spirit while we have your ear that our children will only bow to you and they will only burn with the fire of the Holy Spirit let it burn the chaff around them Build a wall of fire around them. Show them in their youth that there'll be more that's with them than be with the world. Encourage them. Let not bullies prevail. Send your angels to deliver them. You did it for Lot. We're people who fear you. Listen to our conversation, God, and do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you a quick relevant story before we, before we give an invitation for prayer and salvation. That word that said that they that feared God spoke with one another and the Lord heard them they weren't asking for anything, Rev. They weren't making a request. They're just talking like we talk to one another. But wherever the fear of the Lord is, God is present. And he answered. And he opened his book. And he put their names in the book of remembrance. It is the fear of God that causes us to have such reverence for him that we respect him. When you respect, when you're in the presence of someone you respect, you behave differently. You behave differently out of respect. And the thing about God is he's always present. So if we have a conscience of the presence of God, even when we are by ourselves in the dark, we will reverence him because he's there. But there's something about people that are fickle. And it's all of us. Like, I, I want to be, as an executive and the people who know me from business, I always try to be accessible. As a pastor, I want to be accessible. But here's what I learned in both the halls of corporate America and in the church. There's some people that if you get close to, like too close, they get so comfortable with you that it creates 
a scenario where the respect is diminished. They can say anything, do anything, because we're boys, right? So that's why some keep their distance, because they don't want that to happen. I refuse to do that, but I want to be close to people who fear God. I, pr- I love everybody. I'm going to pray for everybody. But the people that I choose to engage with are people that I know because they fear God, I can trust them in any situation. Same for you. Am I by myself? Am I alone in this? Here's the, here's the story. I was talking to one of the elders about two months ago. And they said, Pastor, we have a safety issue on this campus. The lights are out. I'm here in the sanctuary now. It's dark. And in Philadelphia, it's a fact that the crime rate is higher in areas that are not well lit. So it got my attention. I listened and I thought, okay, let me call Jerry. And I did, but I called about that one light that was out. But because it was two God-fearing people talking, God heard us. And on Friday, a friend of mine called and he said, I just, I was waiting for you to come back from Israel. Like, bro, I've been back from Israel for two weeks. (laughs) But see, I left and went somewhere else. He just knew I was away. He said, I want you to know I have someone sitting next to me who wants to change all the lights on your campus at no charge. I wasn't looking for it. I didn't ask for it. But God listened when a God-fearing person was talking. And that's evidence that God listened. I didn't pray about it. I took care of what I thought the problem was by putting up one light. The person was here on Friday. They said, first, we're going to do everyone on the outside of your campus. He said, you see that floodlight there? It releases 800 watts of power. I'm going to give you something more. It's going to release 88, and it's going to be twice as bright. He said, your electric bill will go down by half. And Bishop, it costs us nothing. Because people who fear God spoke to one another and the Lord heard it and he did something for the jewel in his crown. Don't you tell me God is not real. Don't you tell me the word is not true. Don't you tell me that he doesn't hear you. Let God fearing people speak to one another and don't worry. Don't worry, he's got you. And then he came in the building, started in the sanctuary. He looked, he said, oh my God, you got a lot of light. I said, yeah, they're high too. (laughs) They're up high. I came back in about 20 minutes. He said, I counted 400 already. I'm not done. I said, yeah, we got them in the narthex on this and then around and around. And then he told me, He said, this is happening because there is pressure, pressure on city governments around the world to reduce the power grid. And so they realize if we're going to be able to do that, we can't ask people to spend money. So we're going to give you all these very efficient, bright lights and I want you to know it's because God was listening God was listening the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom he'll do it thank you for joining us in service today 
We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.